Good morning, church. Great to see you today. Just want to say that I am very grateful that the Lord has called me to the ministry of the pulpit and not the ministry of the nursery. <laughs> Sitting there this morning, just now, and I just, next time you go by the nursery, just say thank you to our nursery workers. They got, uh, they get, it, I think it's worse than herding cats sometimes, you know? <laughs> but thank you for being here today. You know, going back to school after summer break or after any break can be both exciting and challenging for students. It's back to the routine of learning. It's back to testing. It's back to the social world of school. It's back to the sports teams that you're on. As we get older and our formal education is done, we often think of school as something that kids do, right? That is something our kids do to prepare them for life or, or for their careers or their families. But I've got some news for you this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, learning should never stop. In fact, the word disciple, if you claim to be a disciple of Christ, the word disciple means student or learner. So this morning, I want to take you back to school, if you will, in a series that I've called The School of Worship. And this is a four-part message series where we're going to discover or rediscover what the Bible teaches us about worship. Worship is what we do, so we better make sure that what we're doing for the Lord is done the way God intends it. And the teacher for this four-part message series is the Word of God in the Psalms, aided by the Holy Spirit of God. So before we get into our text, we're going to be in Psalm 100 this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bible, Psalm 100, I want to get two things out of the way first. And let me just say this, that worship is something that I take very seriously. It's very personal to me. Um, I've always been involved in some way in worship ministry in the church. So it's something that's special to my heart. But I want to say two things to start off with. First of all, and this may sound like a weird statement, worship isn't really about music. Worship isn't really about music. Now, music is often the expression of our worship, but not all music is worship, and not all worship is music. You see, you can worship God in a number of different musical styles with all sorts of instruments. I would say this, if you've never experienced worship outside of our geographical region, go somewhere else in the world and listen to Christians sing. It is one of the most inspiring, uplifting things to hear people sing praises in a different style, in a different language to the same Savior. It, it just, it just uh, gets a hold of your soul. But you, there are also non-musical things that we do that are a part of our worship, including the way we serve the Lord, the way we pray to the Lord, and get this as part of our worship, the way we give to the Lord. It's all part of our worship. It's part of what we do in service to Him. So worship isn't really about music. And the other thing I want to say is this, that worship is incredibly personal. It's incredibly personal. Since worship often involves music, we have to consider the power of music to uplift our spirit, to change our mood, or even to invoke nostalgia. Do you know why most of us like, or some of us don't, 
but most of us like Christmas music at Christmas time. It's not because Feliz Navidad is a fantastically written song. It's not because Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a hard musical song. It's because music often invokes nostalgia. It, it invokes this warm, gushy feeling in our hearts sometimes. Music is the universal language, but understand this, it's an incredibly diverse language at the same time. You know, music looks different from church to church to people to people, from nation to nation. And if you don't understand this, some people say, well, we need to sing the old songs in church. By old, they mean songs that are 100 years old. Because most of the songs that anybody's singing around here are not any older than 200 years. And people have been worshiping God for millennia. So the idea of something being old, it's old relatively speaking, but not necessarily. And because music touches our heart, we have to realize and bear with one another that music is something we take incredibly personal. And that's okay, because it's the nature of music. You add in the, the spiritual element of worship music, and it takes that attachment to a whole different level. Now, why do I say this? Why am I getting this out of the way? What does this have to do with our text? I want you to understand that most of the wars on worship that happen in local churches, most of the struggles and fights and conflicts about worship are not about substance and doctrine, but about preference and style. And preference and style is not an eternal issue. It's not. I don't care what anybody says. So we've got to get that out of the way. Uh, the big idea that I believe God wants to establish in our minds or correct through this series is this. Worship is not about me y'all y'all hear that maybe i need to say it again worship is not about me it's not about my preferences it's not about my feelings it's not about my comfort or my experience it's all about him what i want to know is not when i leave the church service do i feel like well jesus ministered to me uh, or i enjoyed that worship service it doesn't matter the only thing that matters is whether or not we lift it high, the only name that matters. The only name that matters in this place is Jesus. So worship is personal, but worship is not about me. It's our offering. It's our sacrifice. It's because of who he is. Now in this series, there are four key elements that we're going to discover that characterize worship that pleases God. And today I'd like to bring you a message entitled, Thankful Hearts thankful hearts let's look at verse 1 of chapter 100 in the book of psalms make a joyful noise to the lord all the earth serve the lord with gladness come into his presence with singing know that the lord he is god it is he who made us and we are his we are his people and the sheep of his pasture enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him bless his name for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the testimony of your word. May your word pierce our hearts and convict us and draw us near to yourself this morning. Have your way in this service, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the main takeaways that you can have after reading these five verses 
one of the big ideas, if you will, behind this passage is that worship that pleases God is always born out of a heart of gratitude to him. It's born out of a heart of gratitude to him. We see this word thanksgiving in the text and the phrase give thanks. These are words we're familiar with because we have a holiday called Thanksgiving. But I want you to understand something. First, to, to be thankful, there must be a person to whom we direct our thanks to. To be thankful, there also must be something that that person has done for us. You see, you can't be thankful to no one. You can't be thankful to a concept. You can't express gratitude to luck. Okay, you just can't do that. It doesn't work that way. You have to direct your thanks towards someone. Uh, just a little bit of nerd trivia this morning. If you like uh, Lee Greenwood's song, uh, God Bless the USA. Uh, what is that? The, uh, I heard somebody call it the Redneck USA Anthem or something like that. But everybody likes it. You know, there's a lot of people like that song and, you know, it's real patriotic. But did you know the original words of that song does not say, I thank the Lord above to be living here today. Doesn't say that at all. In fact, the way he wrote it, if you heard the original version, it says, I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. I said, what? Lucky stars? Are you serious? Yes. L thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Now, those words were just changed when some folks thought it would be a good solo to sing in church, right? Oh, you got to change it to be spiritual. Brothers and sisters, there is no such thing as lucky stars. There is no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as uh, other superstitions. Today, I'm thankful to God alone for what he's done in my life. There's no rabbit's foot or horoscope or magic eight ball that's going to get credit for what he did. Okay, so let's not do this lucky stars stuff. That, that may sound cute on lyrics to a country song, but it's certainly not biblical. I understand that. Today I'm thankful to God alone. One of the chief motivations for our worship is always gratitude. One of the chief motivations for our worship is always gratitude for what he's done. So let's unpack what the psalmist says in our text. First, we have a call to worship a call to worship it, it's a call to joyful praise it's a call to joyful praise the worship of almighty god is not meant to be depressing it's not meant to be lethargic or lifeless and, you know i'm going to speak on behalf of our fantastic worship team for a minute that puts a whole lot of time and effort and pulls off three services as an army of volunteers every sunday if you don't thank them, please take some time to do that. But you know, I want to say something, that if you want to make their jobs easier, if you want to make them real excited, okay, participate. Don't sit there like a bump on a log. Don't sit there looking like you swallowed a lemon. Uh, you know, I, none of the songs we sing are depressing songs. And sometimes some of y'all out there look like deer in headlights. Can't sing. You, you might stand with the rest of the crowd, but you are not going to smile about it. <laughs> if you want to help me preach, follow along with me. Laugh at my corny jokes. Say amen every once in a while. Take some notes. If you want to help them lead worship, sing, participate, clap, lift your hands, and smile about it. It really helps. The other day, we were sitting at a, 
Bible study, and uh, Reverend James Allen, who's in our Bible study, we love James, he said, Brother Paul, sometimes some of those songs we sing in church, they make me want to go do the jitterbug. <laughs> and I'm too young to know what the jitterbug looks like, but you just go right ahead, Brother James. Nobody's going to stop you, amen? If you're not full of joy, then something's wrong. Something's wrong. Over and over again, the script, in the Scriptures, worship is commanded us of us with this word. Rejoice. Rejoice. That means the songs we sing, the attitudes we carry, should be full of joy. But it's a call also directed to the whole earth. The invitation to come and worship is made creation-wide because that's what creation was intended to do. God made all of us, not just people, but the world itself, to turn back praise and bring honor and glory to him. It's a call to the whole earth. Hear what David says in Psalm 19 about God's creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words where their voice is not heard. What a beautiful statement that God's glory is being preached all around the globe by the stars themselves. That's the God we serve. God wants all of creation to join in this worship song to him. He desires all men to become his worshipers. He wants no one left out, but he knows that some people will refuse to worship him. He knows that some people will refuse to acknowledge him. The other thing we see is that this is a call to more than just church services. This is a call to more than just church services. Verse 2, I believe it is, says this, uh, serve the Lord with gladness. Now that word serve in the Hebrew language, uh, in the original form, it described the worship done in the temple. Corporate acts of worship uh, performed in service of the Lord. It's appropriate usage. Did you know though, it's the same word used in Genesis chapter 2, which uh, before the fall, which this was good work, it says that Adam tended or worked the garden he worked the garden and it wasn't really hard work apparently but he did something what does that tell us that tells us that worship is not just about what you do on sundays it's about the everyday mundane things too the way you do your job is part of your worship just as the way you sing from your lungs in this service see it's all part of our worship it's all part of our expression of worship to him serving the lord involves more than just showing up on sunday it's a seven-day-a-week concept. It's an all-of-life worship. So what am I trying to tell you this morning? What you do the other six days matters to God, too. Don't think that it doesn't. It does. The other thing we see in verse 2 is it's a call to raise our voices. The Word says, make a joyful noise. Come into His presence with singing. No one's excluded. Not even bad singers. You say, man, I can't sing, Paul. That's okay. It, you may think you can't. It, the only kind of tune you can play is the radio, okay? And let me tell you something. You say you can't sing? Your pastor tells you right now, let her rip anyway. You're going to be doing it for eternity. In fact, the more that you sing, the better you'll get at it, right? The more you, most people, I think. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The next thing we see in verse 3 is the why of our worship. The why of our worship. 
The one being worshiped, it's the Lord. The text says to know or acknowledge that he is God. Now in our Western minds, we often think of only two alternatives. You either believe in God or you're an atheist or an agnostic. Those are the two things we see, like kind of a dichotomy, either one or the other. But I want you to understand that worldwide, there are thousands of false religions and false gods that people worship. And in David's day especially, there weren't many atheists from what we understand. They were just people worshiping false gods. So it was very important for him to say, know that the Lord is God. It's a proclamation of who he is, that worship is all about him. Our Lord, he is really God, and he deserves our worship this morning. Now, I've heard some people get up in church and they grab a microphone and they get the soundtrack ready in the back and they say, I'm going to dedicate this song to Mama. Well, I'm going to dedicate this song to Uncle Billy who went to be with the Lord. Let me tell you something. We don't do that here at Grace Point. We don't dedicate songs to people. Every song is dedicated to Jesus Christ because he's the only one that matters. We love Mama, but we ain't singing to Mama. We're singing to Jesus. He's the only name that matters. Jesus is the focal point of the church's worship. And if a song doesn't proclaim Jesus, we're not going to sing it. The second thing we see is the ones who are worshiping. The ones worshiping are the people of God. That's us. I want you to see that even though the invitation of worship in, chat, in verse 1 is sent out to the whole earth, the implication here is that only those who truly belong to God are part of his worshiping people. And if you're part of his worshiping people, Jesus has told you what you should do. Listen to John chapter 4. But the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That's the qualifications. Now, why are we the ones to do it? Let's look at the reason we're the ones to do it. Very simple. He made us. He made us. We belong to him. I love what the psalmist says. He says this. He says, we are the sheep of his pasture. We are the sheep of his pasture. David, being a shepherd himself, saw the shepherding that he did. So you know what? This is kind of like what God does for me. This is kind of like what God does for us. He shepherds us. He protects us. He guides us. He watches over us. It's just like what God does for me. Now, what does this imply that we are the sheep of his pasture? Well, it means we're not special on our own. If you know anything about sheep, they're not very intelligent and they're not very rare. So you're, hey, I'm a sheep. <laughs> Great. <laughs> We didn't put ourselves in his care either. You know, sheep don't go around taking applications for the shepherd that they want, right? You kind of get chosen. We didn't prepare green pastures for ourselves. When you see a sheep outside cutting the grass so they can graze on it, it don't work that way. Somebody else takes care of providing the green pastures. And that's why the green pastures are a reflection of his grace in our lives. We didn't do anything to get it. We didn't prepare the green pastures, and we belong to him, not the other way around. I remember hearing in a video, it was a video that I was watching, some interviews with, uh, with some Mormon missionaries. And one of the things they said 
one of these Mormon missionaries said, he said, I love my Jesus. I just wish he was in my hand and holding him in my pocket. And I was like, what? That's weird. Like, like Jesus belongs to us. Like I'm holding my Jesus. Listen, Jesus doesn't belong to us. We belong to him. He's the one holding on to us. We don't get to hold on to him. We might think we are, but it's really him holding on to us. Remember what Jesus said about his sheep in John chapter 10. Quite possibly my favorite chapter of scripture. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He says earlier in the text, he says, my sheep know me and I call them by name. My friends, that's a relationship. That's a relationship. So in order to worship, in order to be a part of his pasture and be his sheep, you have to know God and have a personal relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. You can't worship if you're not one of his people. Finally, we see the way of our worship. The way of our worship. We give thanks at a time and place. Come into his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Uh, what does that say? That means it's done intentionally. We're told to enter his courts with praise. Now, if you're here this morning, I would probably bet good money that you did not accidentally wake up early, accidentally get your church clothes on, accidentally get in the car and drive here and show up on time for this service or a few minutes later. Why? You made the decision yesterday, most likely, or before that, to come to church today. A pastor I know says that um, Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. I like that. And it is. It's intentional. It doesn't happen accidentally. It took a decision. It was a choice. And you made that choice to be here. A few weeks ago, the Buffalo Bills played home playoff games. Their fans showed up before the game to help shovel mounds of snow out of the seats and off the off the field so they could sit in sub-zero wind chills and watch a playoff game. Now listen, that's their right to do that. You know, you can't stop somebody from being stupid, right? Um, <laughs> it's their right to do that. And great for them. But you know what? That was convicting for me as a Christian. How easy is it for us to skip church? How easy is it for us to look outside and look at the snow and say, oh, this must be a sign that I don't have to gather with the saints today and let me tell you something i may be meddling here but i don't care covid made everybody much more lax on church attendance it did miss church for a sniffle man if i had a sniffle on saturday night growing up we got some benadryl and some tissues said see you in sunday school amen i'm not saying you need to go to church when you're ill but my what i am saying is a lot of people aren't very intentional about attending church and wonder why they miss it all the time. You got to be intentional about being here. We give thanks at a time and place. It's something we have to intentionally set out to do. The other thing we see is that we give thanks for all he has done. A huge part of our worship is just saying thank you to the Lord for everything he's done. You know, one of the most humbling and amazing experiences is when you receive a gift from someone that has a very high value monetary or otherwise and you know you could never repay them for that gift the only thing you can do is say thank you accept the gift with gratitude and show them how much you appreciate it you can't really pay them back it's a humbling experience but it's a blessing at the same time my friends we have so much to be thankful for 
Let me just say that again. If you're in Christ, you have so much to be thankful for. Just for starters, hear what David says. He has been good to us. We sing this song, the goodness of God. All my life, he has been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good, and it is true. He's been good to us. He's been faithful to us, and he will be faithful to us and to every generation after us. You see, we can never repay God for what Paul calls his unspeakable gift. The unspeakable gift is his only begotten son. But we can't repay God for what he did for us. We could do the one thing we were created for, and that's turn back our praise to him. We could do the one thing we're put on this planet to do and lift our voices to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. My friend, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ through faith, the point of this message for you is that you need to become a worshiper of Christ. You're not yet but you can be if you will turn from your sin and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead and ask him to save you he will save you and will make you his child and a worshiper of the king today but for the rest of us if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus and a worshiper of Jesus you've already made that decision you've been drafted into this army of worshipers whether you realize it or not to follow Jesus is to sing to him, to worship him, to serve him, to rejoice in him. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you the one pouring back praise to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Or are you just going to sit there like a bump on a log and let somebody else do it? Better yet, is something else in God's creation going to steal your place? In the heavenly choir is something else gonna steal your place in the chorus of the ages I want you to think this morning as a close about the triumphal entry of Jesus he's riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey he rides into Jerusalem the week of his crucifixion he's not coming in to overthrow Rome and establish a political kingdom he's coming in to defeat sin and death and hell forever and his disciples, multitudes of them, they're starting to fill the streets. And what happens? Verse 37 to Luke 19. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works they'd seen. They start praising God. They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. An impromptu Holy Spirit-led worship service right there in the streets of Jerusalem. It was pretty exciting. And you know, when God's doing something like that, there's always negative Nancys and Debbie Downers and pessimistic patties you know always in this time it's the pharisees this is what they say and some of the pharisees in the crowd said to him to jesus teacher rebuke your disciples <laughs> they're too loud they're getting in my way they're causing all this ruckus stop them and he answered he says i tell you if these were silent the very stones would cry out Jesus will get the praise he deserves. Will you be the one bringing it? Or are you going to let a rock cry out in your place? 
A lifeless rock is a lifeless rock going to possess more love and passion for Jesus than you. You decide. Let's pray.